back to the Pumps and Systems Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Champlin, Managing Editor of Pumps and Systems Magazine, pumpsandsystems.com. Today on the podcast, we have a repeat guest. Uh, Patrick Hogue of NEDEC was our first episode guest. So if you want to go back to pumpsandsystems.com slash podcast, go all the way down to episode one and you, you can hear Patrick's first interview with us. He's also written several stories in the Pumps and Systems Magazine you can go to the website, just type in his last name, H-O-G-G. Today, we're going to talk about understanding motor applications, important application factors that are important to the design of the motor. And to let everybody know, the presenting sponsor of this podcast is SEPCO, designing and manufacturing world-class fluid sealing systems and solutions for mechanical seals. Contact SEPCO 800-633-4770. Email info at sepco.com. Look them up on the web, sepco.com. Tell them you heard about them from the Pumps and Systems podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast on any platform, iTunes, Google, Apple, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Visit pumpsandsystems.com slash podcast to hear all episodes that's enough of me talking. Let me introduce Patrick Hogue to you guys. Patrick, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Drew. Thanks for having me on again. It's always uh, great to get on here and talk about what I do, so it's nice. And, uh, you know, we're going to have some new listeners who have not heard episode one of the Pumps and Systems podcast. Tell everybody what you're doing now, how, you know, how long you've been at NEDEC, and any other pertinent information you wish to share about yourself. Yeah, so I've been in the electric motor industry for about 12 years now, mostly doing engineering work, um, moving through application engineering from everything to uh, washers and dryers through small fractional pumps all the way up to 5,000 horsepower uh, pump motors as well. So with the 12 years experience, I've done everything from design to marketing. So I've got quite a wide variety of interactions. I'm part of Hydraulic Institute. I've been part of Hydraulic Institute for eight years now. So there's a lot of things I learn about the pumping industry through HI. So we're going to talk about understanding motor applications. We're going to talk about all the different types of you know questions you have to answer. Before we get into stuff like nameplate rating, load type, uh, why is this important? Kind of, kind of summarize what we're going to be talking about a little bit here before we get into the nitty gritty. Yeah, when Drew, when you asked me if I had another topic for a podcast, it kind of came to me that as an application engineering manager here at NEDEC, when I get an inquiry from a customer asking, hey, do you have a five horsepower motor? It goes well beyond just the horsepower rating of a motor. And in my head, when I get a request like that, I go through kind of a checklist of things on the motor to say, hey, how is this application going to affect the way I design this motor? So I figured that we kind of discuss on this podcast something about that. You know, what are the big things that when I see it as an application engineering manager that affect the motor design from a standard stock motor to something more specialized or making the motor larger or moving to a different enclosure? So I guess we'll go down that checklist. And the, the first thing uh, you've got here is the nameplate rating. So what... What do we need to know about that? Uh, just tell us a little bit about the nameplate rating, why it's important. Yeah, this is the, the very first thing that always pops up is the voltage rating on these motors. So a lot of the time you see people confused by the supply voltage rating versus the rating on the nameplate of the motor. So the NEMA standard, the industry standard, is to rate these things 
rate these motors a little bit lower voltage than the actual supply voltage due to drop from the transformer, voltage drop from the transformer, and things like that. So a lot of the times for a 480 volt system, for a 230 or 240 volt system, your motors are going to be nameplate voltage rated a little bit lower. So for a 480 volt power supply, the voltage rating for the motor is commonly 460. For a 240 volt supply, the voltage is commonly 230. 120 is 115. So on and on. The thing there is motors per NEMA are designed to operate a plus or minus 10%. So if you do get that full 480 volts, your motor is still going to operate at it. But what the NEMA has decided to do, decided to do is to rate it a little bit lower on the voltage. Another big issue that we see with nameplate ratings is the service factor. A lot of people get confused on what this service factor means. So the NEMA kind of definition in general is an overload capability of the motor for non-continuous use, right? So what we get a lot of is, hey, this 10 horsepower motor has a 1.15 service factor on it. So this is technically a 15 horsepower motor. Well, that's not true because it's not going to, it's technically not rated to operate continuously at that higher level of service factor. That service factor is strictly put in there for chance overloads or something with your pump, possibly um, getting an inrush of water or stalling, any of those type of things so that the motor doesn't overheat for a short period of time. It'll trip, something will be realized, so it won't destroy your motor but it has a little bit of overload capability. There's a big issue there when people try to start rating and running motors into the service factor continuously. Not saying that it'll destroy your motor right away, but it's gonna affect the life of the motor there. So the last thing on nameplates that has kind of come up in the last couple of years is efficiency and what the nameplate efficiency versus the actual efficiency is. So due to DOE regulations, they have stated a specific test procedure to test the efficiency of electric motors. And this test procedure states that you test these motors with um, standard roller, standard ball bearings at a certain ambient temperature with no seals, things like that. They have a whole stipulation about it, which kind of all rolls up into perfect conditions. So you're testing this efficiency for DOE, which you have to stamp on the nameplate as NEMA nominal efficiency, are just very perfect test results, which is very different from what you can see in the field, which is like a full load efficiency when you add, let's say on vertical motors, you're adding a larger thrust bearing. You might have some type of seal in there that's going to create a little bit of drag. You're, there's multiple other things. Your efficient or your ambient or your altitude might be different. So it's always important to look at the actual full load efficiency of the motor versus the NEMA nominal, which is stamped on the nameplate, if you're really worried about wire-to-water type of efficiency calculations. So it's just one of those um, efficiency rules that's coming into play now that the DOE has rolled out their regulations. Well, when we talk about load type, what are the different types of loads that you need to be aware of in this, in this application? So, yeah, that's that's one of the next things. After we get the the real base ratings down, you know, voltage, speed, horsepower, 
type of thing. My very next question is, well, what kind of load type is this? So the load types, there's two major types, variable and constant, and the big difference is in that is a variable load type, the torque required changes as the speed changes. So, for example, a, a centrifugal pump or a fan, as you spin that fan or pump quicker, there's going to be more torque required because you're going to be moving more fluid, whether it be air or water. A constant torque load or a constant load is something like a conveyor belt or a positive displacement pump where no matter what speed that that pump or conveyor is running, it's going to require the same amount of torque. So a good example is if I have a conveyor with a bunch of cardboard boxes on it, if I stop that conveyor and run it at one RPM, I still have to move the same amount of cardboard boxes in weight as if I was running at 3,600 RPM, where the pump variable torque loads are exact opposite. Like I mentioned just a little bit ago, if I was running at 30 RPM, I'd be moving a lot less water, which would require a lot less torque, where if I was at 3,600 RPM, I'd be moving a lot more water, which would require a lot more torque. So this is really, really important to understand because it really affects this, the low range speed of the motor as well as the cooling effects required for low range speed. So if you have a constant torque motor, it can go all the way down to very low speeds, which affect the cooling circuit of the motor. So if you're going to go down to really low speed and need that full torque, we're going to have to cool that motor possibly a little bit different or make it larger so the motor cools itself a little bit better. Another important part of these loads is understanding the load characteristics. So maybe not all loads are directly variable or directly constant. If we can get a load curve or a torque curve of the driven equipment, so a load curve of the pump, so that's the speed torque curve of the pump or the speed torque curve of the conveyor or any whatever the application is if the motor manufacturer can get a speed torque curve of the driven equipment we can design something specifically for that or at least verify that the motor will operate correctly for your application and now a word from our presenting sponsor sepco designing and manufacturing world-class fluid sealing systems and solutions for mechanical seals and bearing protection to pump and valve packing if it's fluid sealing, SEPCO's got it. Contact SEPCO for all your sealing needs at 800-633-4770 or email at info at sepco.com. Visit them on the web at sepco.com. That's S-E-P-C-O dot com. And let the fine folks at SEPCO know that you heard about them from the Pumps and Systems podcast. And now back to the podcast. How does the duty cycle affect the application or the motor? Yeah, so that, that kind of just ties into what we just mentioned about load curves and in the, in the torque required. So duty cycle isn't a huge um, issue in the pumping industry, but it is a very large issue in most other industries. Let's say you have a large punching press where the motor is pulling up a large weight, but then at the other half as the weight is pushed down, there's not a whole lot of work from the motor. So really that comes down to if you have a, you can maybe rate this motor from continuous to intermittent, which changes the size of the motor. In order to do that accurately as a motor manufacturer, though, we need to know that duty cycle. And again, it goes back to the load curve, you know, how much torque for how long of a time at what speed is required for this, for this application. 
So if you told me in the email or spec that you sent me, you said, hey, this is got a, a funky duty cycle or this has the uh, changes speed multiple times during running. I, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, well, what's the duty cycle? How long does it run at each speed? Just to help me understand as the manufacturer of the motor to give you the best design in the end. What, what factors need to be considered when it, when we move on to starting the motor? Yeah. So we've talked about loads that once we, once we've ru started running. So, but the, one of the most important things there is actually starting the motor and again, with the variable torque loads, it's not a big issue because at low speeds, you have a lot lower torque requirement. So the starting at full load torque, things like that are usually reserved for constant load applications, which are minimal. It's just kind of the positive displacement pumps, which are in the pump industry, obviously. But one big thing that kind of that kind of switches that is a lot of these larger pumps, a lot of these larger motors are in plants that have to uh, think about their starting current so that they don't get charged extra because you get charged at the max current that you're starting at. So if I wanted to start, let's say three or four, 3000 horsepower motors at one time, you're going to be dragging the grid down. You're going to be really increasing your current that you're going to get charged for. So end users are really looking at something to limit that inrush current and make it easier on the grid, on their power supply for when they're starting these motors. So a lot of it goes to voltage, low reduced voltage start or some type of way to reduce the current required at starting. So the key here is when I, when I hear reduced voltage start or if I, wanna, if I hear that they want to limit the inrush, I'm going to start looking at as soon as you limit the inrush or lower the voltage to this motor, the torque that it generates decreases. So again, I'm going to go back to that load curve that was supplied to me with the torque to make sure at the voltages or the current requirement that is given as the limit, I'm still going to generate enough torque to start and run that load. So that's a big issue there too on starting at reduced voltage loads. There's a couple different ways you can do it where you can limit the current. So you can limit, uh, you can type into your solid state reduced voltage starter and say, hey, I want to limit the inrush to, and it's usually in a percentage of full load amps. So I want to limit it to 600% full load amps. So when the motor goes to start and it gets close to that inrush limit, what it'll do is it'll drop the voltage so that it doesn't go over the inrush amps. But what that does is drops the torque. So we just have to do that analysis to make sure we can overcome that torque and start the pump correctly. Another way to do it is just drop the voltage for a certain amount of time. So you drop the voltage to 80% reduced voltage starting for so many seconds. As it pulls up, you get the reduced current. But again, we have to analyze that to make sure that we can still start that load over that extended period of time with the lower torque. So that's one of the important requirements when I'm looking at a motor or looking at an application to say, hey, what's the starting requirements for this? Some other applications really like high starting, like so rock crushers. They're not necessarily in the pumping industry, but rock crushers, some air compressors, things like that really have a high starting torque requirement in order to get the whole equipment moving. So those are the type of things I'm going to ask on starting in order to get the right design. 
What about when it comes to enclosures? What are the things you get you have to consider? Enclosures is one of the biggest groups to try to understand. There's so many different enclosures, so many different environments to really attack here. So this is one of those ones that's usually a back and forth unless it's specifically set in the spec on what it is. And even if it is, sometimes the things raise some red flags that say, I think you might really want this type of enclosure against this according to what the spec kind of reads. And that's just knowledge that I've acquired over the years that sometimes new spec writing engineers might not know motors all, the, all that well, but it really comes down to the environmental factors, right, that are going to be around this motor. If you say, I want a motor that runs a pump that I installed in Arizona to run the same pump in Florida. Well, a red flag can go up for me a little bit because you're going to have a lot more moisture in Florida. Depends on if it's on the coast, right? You might have salt, a lot of salt in the air, which is a really abrasive type of atmosphere, which if you have an open motor, that salt comes and moves through the motor to cool it, right? It's an open motor. I'm going to use the external air, which is cooler than the air I'm generating inside the motor, so let's move it through there and cool it. You move that air through there, the salt goes through there and really scratches up those windings, so you're going to affect the life of the motor. Same with sand. If you're over, if you're in a desert somewhere, you, they're just things to think of. Not that you can't use an open motor in these environments, but sometimes you might want to change to, hey, I want additional protection on my windings, possibly. Or if you're in somewhere like a mill that has really fine particles, maybe I don't want this external air moving through the middle of my motor at all and I can go to a totally enclosed motor and there's multiple different types of cooling to use for these totally enclosed motors so you can do fan cooled air over which is like in line with a fan or you can use tube cooled where you're putting air just like a radiator you're putting air through tubes and you circulate the air from the motor around those tubes to cool it. So it really comes down to the environmental factors and just to kind of take a step back and look at it and say how are these where am I going to install this motor and how are these environmental factors going to affect the longevity of this? And then one other enclosure to kind of bolt onto the bottom of this whole discussion here is um, hazardous location. One of the biggest things that I get, and you know, I kind of mentioned it at the beginning, is somebody comes and says, hey, I need a five horsepower motor. Well, the other caveat to that is I need a five horsepower uh, hazardous location motor. So with that, I ask, you know, what's the rating for this hazardous location? What's the division? What's the class? What's the group? What's the T-code? And I get a lot of responses back that say, oh, just use your standard. Well, the standard, there isn't one for explosion proof. This is something specifically rated by OSHA that we need from the person that's going to install it because it tells us, you know, what kind of protection this hazardous location needs for safety. So anything that comes down to safety, we can't assume, and we have to get it directly from the end user on where this is actually going to be installed. So that's what, that is one difficult thing sometimes to get across, especially the T code, which is the, the temperature code for auto ignition of the environment that it's going to be in. So it's one of those things that sometimes um, some people kind of get angry because we keep coming back to them and asking them and asking them, and they don't know, but we need to get that figured out because that's one of the things that we can't assume. Some of the other environmental factors, if you tell us where it's installed, we can kind of tell you, hey, you know, you might want to use this type of enclosure or you might want to add this feature to it. But our hazardous location 
we need to know that specifically so we can get you the right motor. Obviously a lot to consider there, but what about the types of connections are there to consider when, with, with this? Yeah. So motors specifically now, I mean, I shouldn't say it, it's, it's been quite a few years, but we used to belt drive everything, right? Even pumps. I've seen pictures of older pumps that are belt drive in order to cost reduce these whole systems and make them more lean things like that, we've moved to a direct drive type of system where we hook the shaft of the motor directly up to the driven equipment, right? We still have some belt drive applications, but it's just really important to understand how this motor is connected to your driven equipment, you know, because then it's going to affect the size of the bearings, the, the tolerance on the shafts, the tolerance on the flanges that may be needed in order to connect them to your equipment. So, just understanding how this motor is mounted and connected to the driven equipment is very important for us because it can tell us, you know, on belted, there's, if you imagine tensioning a belt on a pulley, you're really pulling that shaft over. So we need to maybe make sure that the bearings can handle that pullover force. Um, the direct connect, you don't have a gearbox or something in between it. So again, going back to the starting torque requirement, we need to make sure we've got enough starting torque to to start high inertia loads if you're gonna to try to direct connect it. Um, vertical motors, we're, ta we're taking these things and we're hanging large vertical pumps off the bearings of these motors, so we need to make sure we have the correct bearing sized in there as well as the flange. And even when you're looking at, at connection and installation here, if you broaden it that much, you're looking at um, read critical frequencies if you're trying to install a very large motor on maybe a smaller pump head or something like that. So connection is very important on the application side so we can get a better view of what this thing looks like and what kind of um, special requirements we may need to add or talk to you guys, talk to an end user about. When it comes to use of the VFD, the variable frequency, frequency drive, what types of special protection do you have to consider? Yeah, so this going back through to the very first podcast that that I did with you, it was kind of over that, you know, what how does a motor and a drive interact? And so I figured it would be a good way to kind of sum that up here because it again going back to the same comment as I mentioned with the DOE efficiency regulations, because there's the industry is moving to a more efficient type of driven equipment overall, we need to put more efficient pump systems out there. So usually that involves being able to vary the speed of the pump so that you're not using as much energy when it's not required. One of the ways to do that is by using a VFD to vary the speed of the motor itself. Well, with that, there does there is some things you need to consider in order to protect your motor because of the PWM waveform that most that most VFDs use. I think all the VFDs use now. And it's basically protecting your windings, your bearings, and making sure you get the right cooling, right? So if you want to hear a little bit more about that kind of thing, you can go back to the first podcast for sure. But it's just one of those, again, very important questions that I ask so I can get a full understanding of the application so that I can give the best motor for that application. Yeah, please do go back to the first podcast, all the listeners. I can guarantee you now, though, that the audio on this one is a lot better. We've come a long way in the in the nine months. Uh, Patrick Hogue, is there anything else you want to add in, in when it comes to understanding motor applications, anything you want to finish with uh, besides what you just did? 
I mean, it's like I said, I've I've got quite a few years and to with getting information from end users and asking information back, but almost every day I'm with my team of engineers and I miss a question or something like that. So it comes down to giving us as much information up front is going to allow you to get the best motor design quicker. And it's just understanding these don't necessarily, you know, it's, we're always going back to ask the question to get the best motor design for the customer. And any motor manufacturer will say the same thing. We want to understand this so that when we put the motor into these applications, it's going to function like they want it to and for the life that they want. So these are, again, these are just the general thoughts that come to mind as I'm doing it, but it all depends on the application, the environment, the, the torque requirements, and how they all interact, which can change these applications from one from the other. So it's just really important to as much information and really talk to your application engineer at the motor manufacturer as much as possible to make sure you're getting that right motor. Sounds great. And for all the listeners, go visit the NIDEC website, nidec.com, for pretty much a wide range of products you can you can learn about in technology. Go to pumpsandsystems.com. You can type in Patrick Hogue, H-O-G-G, and read some of his previous articles. We also have some more NIDEC contributors who have written for pumps and systems you can search uh, nidec in the search bar on pumpsandsystems.com to read those and we will have more in the future as well patrick thank you so much for joining us drew thank you and i hope to see you soon at hi or any other trade organizations as well as any of the listeners if you if you see me stop and say hi and tell me that you heard you heard me on the podcast here on pumps and systems Okay. Yeah. Do you want to share any contact information for any listeners? Uh, yeah. My uh, my email, you can email questions at my name, patrick.hogg, H-O-G-G, at needec-motor.com. Okay. Great. Well, that'll wrap up this edition of the Pumps and Systems Podcast. We'd like to thank Patrick Hogue of NEDEC for sharing his time and expertise. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, SEPCO. Visit them on the web, sepco.com. Please subscribe to the Pumps and Systems Podcast on any podcast platform, Apple, Google, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Just go go search Pumps and Systems on there, pumpsandsystems.com slash podcast to hear more. Until then, thank you so much for listening. 